Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. a is a word that indicates that a purchase has been made. Uh, redeemed is is a transactional term, and uh, it means that there has been a price paid. And I, aren't you thankful that there has been a price paid uh, for the world? Amen. And I'm thankful tonight to be able uh, to be a whosoever will gospel preacher, uh, because we have a whosoever will gospel. Amen. And uh, the reason why we can we can offer salvation, uh, the, 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 the gift of salvation that God gives, we can preach the gospel and let them know that they can receive that gift is because the price was paid for all. Amen. Uh, the price of redemption was made uh, for all. And I'm thankful for that tonight. Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please, this evening to the Old Testament book of Proverbs again tonight. And uh, want, to, want to look here for just a moment and uh, then go backwards a little bit in our Bible and try to continue some thoughts. Uh, what we were in, um, we were in this past uh, uh, Wednesday night. And so please, uh, please do uh, keep your Bible ready. We'll be headed back uh, to First Kings here in just a moment. We spent uh, much of the last time we were in this study there. And uh, so we, we will be headed back there this evening. But let's look at Proverbs chapter number one. And uh, I'll have you stand as we read a few verses together tonight. Uh, Proverbs chapter number one and verse number one. Again, we're, we'll be looking here in, in some of these verses uh, tonight. But let's look at verse number one. The Bible says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse number 8, uh, the Bible says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thine, thy head, and chains about thy neck. You may be seated. Uh, we'll pray together, and we'll pick up in First uh, Kings tonight. But let's let's pray together before we do. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight as humbly and thankfully, God, as we know how. Thank you, Lord God, for Wednesday night church, for what it means. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be able to come in on a, in the middle of the week, to be able to worship with our church family, to be able to worship our God, to be able to, to spend time singing about you, and uh, Lord, to be able to sing songs like, I must tell Jesus and rejoice in the fact that we have a God that we can pray to. Lord, to be able to sing songs like, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Lord, to, to be redeemed, to be uh, purchased by you. Lord, what a, what a wonderful treasure that we have. Lord, it is uh, truly, not just life changing, but eternity uh, changing. And Lord, we're so thankful tonight that for those of us that have been redeemed, uh, we do not have to, to ever worry about going to hell, about being condemned, uh, Lord, about ever being lost again, about ever being headed to hell again. But because, you're, because the price has been paid and the blood has been applied, uh, Lord, each and every one of us can rejoice in the benefit 
benefits of the redeemed. And Lord, we do have something to proclaim. We, we do have something to, to sing about and to shout about tonight. And Lord, it's only because of you that we have uh, any of those things. Father, I pray, uh, dear God, tonight that you would use this time. Uh, Lord, as we open your word, may you feed us, I pray, uh, with the word of God. So many times, Lord, on, on Wednesday night, Lord, we do uh, take this period of time not only to have prayer meeting, but God, to be able to study uh, the Word of God. And Lord, to be able uh, to take our time and to walk through a passage and really, uh, God, try to get as much out of it as we can, uh, Lord, that is pertinent to us today. Father, I do pray in the name of Jesus that you would make this time everything that you'd have for it to be. I pray, God, that you'd touch my mind, my mouth, my body, Lord, everything that is involved in preaching. I pray, dear God, that you'd make it physically possible. Tonight, I pray, God, that you'd make it spiritually possible. Lord, as I often do prior to preaching, I pray, God, that you'd forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, use me, God, I pray for your service tonight. Lord, I'm not here to hurt anybody. Lord, I want to help somebody from the Word of God. Lord, I realize that it's not me that does anything, but Lord, I want to be a vessel. I want to be a mouthpiece that you can use, uh, Lord, to reach in the hearts of people's lives. And Lord, I pray that the sweet Holy Ghost of God would make the difference, uh, Lord, tonight through the Word of God. I claim to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Lord, I pray you'd take the study of the Word of God. I pray that you would take this time, and Lord, may it, uh, Lord, illuminate our minds to the point where it seems like the text is just leaping off the page. And I pray, dear God, that you'd give us what we stand in need of for the hour in which we live today. Father, have your will and way, and Father, for everything you do, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, came here to Proverbs chapter number one for uh, the first time, at least the, the first time since we've been dealing with this subject. And uh, I began to talk to you a little bit about the book of Proverbs in general. Uh, we called the message, a, a, the pre we called it a preface to Proverbs. And uh, by that, it is an introduction. It is an overview of what the book of Proverbs should mean to uh, the believer. We talked a little bit about some verses that God used in my life out of the book of Proverbs to give me direction for living, and that really is uh, what the book of Proverbs is. It is a collection of wise sayings that gives us instructions for life. Of course, we understand that uh, the human penman for uh, this book is, uh, is King Solomon. Uh, this was written during a middle part uh, in his life that we understand. He was at least young enough to have a son that he is writing to with uh, what I would consider to be adolescent issues, uh, dealing with him about things of uh, relationships and marriage and uh, with desires and things like that. And so we understand that Solomon's in that place in life. And so when we consider a little bit about this book, we began to talk about what uh, we began to talk about what the book is. That is a series of Proverbs. We talked about how all nations at some in some way or another have their own set of Proverbs, even America, and we uh, spent some time and uh, talked about some of those, and y'all did such a good job in finishing all of those American Proverbs, and that was that was an interesting uh, portion of the service. Y'all did a great job with that. Amen? And uh, so that's what they are. Uh, they are sayings that give us instructions to live by. That's what the book is, and then uh, we started looking at the we started looking at whose uh, this book is, and that's verse number one. The Bible says it is the Proverbs of Solomon. And so we talked about Solomon for a little bit. Uh, we talked about his possessive name. We talked about his pedigree. His name, of course, is Solomon. His pedigree is that he was the son of David. That's the family that he is associated with. We saw his uh, position that he is the king of Israel. And then we started talking about uh, not just his, uh, his possessive name, his pedigree and his position, but we started talking about his provision. And uh, we look at that as we look at verse number one and as a whole, where the Bible says it's the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, uh, king of Israel. And then verse two through uh, verse number six in particular uh, tells us what the book is meant for. And I'll deal with that some uh, maybe next Wednesday. Uh, well, not next 
next Wednesday night, but maybe the uh, following Wednesday night, maybe Sunday night. We'll see uh, what the Lord does. But as we look here at this provision, uh, we started to ask the question, if these proverbs belong to Solomon, then, then why is it and how is it uh, that God gave them to him? And so uh, we spent some time uh, in 1 Kings. So I'm going to have you turn there uh, for just a little bit tonight. 1 Kings chapter uh, number 1 is where, well, chapter number 2 uh, is where we began, of course. Uh, chapter number 1, uh, we find some mentions of the final days of King David, the final uh, moments of his life. Uh, chapter number 2 even continues with that. 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, as you go to verse number 1, you're entering into uh, the final moments of David's life. Not just uh, the final days, but you get into really uh, the final moments, the days of David drew nigh that he should die. Chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Kings. And we found uh, in verse 1 that he begins to charge Solomon. And in that charge, uh, we began to see some things about why, why Solomon, rather, would need wisdom in the first place. Uh, God gave these sayings of wisdom, these words of wisdom uh, to King Solomon uh, because he was a man that the Bible says was in great need of wisdom. And so we talked about why would God provide uh, this supernatural wisdom, uh, supernatural understanding, and even a supernatural uh, largeness of heart according uh, to chapter, uh, chapter number 4. Uh, we saw that about how God gave him wisdom, understanding, and largeness of heart, a, a big heart for people. Uh, why would God do that? Well, the first reason was, was uh, God gave it to Solomon as a result of a great need. And so that's what we saw in chapter number two. We saw David, uh, the father of King Solomon. Uh, he was the greatest king that Israel had ever known, and he dies. So now Solomon's coming to the throne. And as Solomon comes to the throne, David lays a heavy, a heavy charge uh, upon Solomon uh, concerning his physical abilities as king, his need to show himself strong and to show himself a man. And then uh, also uh, he deals with him uh, about uh, the, the political, if you will, uh, charge uh, of Solomon, him being a king and him being a leader, the spiritual charge about him uh, keeping the charge of the Lord, walking in his ways and in his statutes and his commandments and all of those things that were mentioned there. And so we understand that as King, da as King David begins to go off the scene and he gives a charge to Solomon as the next king of Israel, there is a very heavy charge. And no doubt Solomon would have, would have felt the immensity of the need uh, for wisdom as he enters into uh, this role, filling in the shoes, if you will, or attempting at least to stand in the place. I don't know if you could ever feel the shoes of David, but at least standing in the place and the position of David as the king of Israel. And so we understand that there was a great need, uh, not only because of the charge, but then uh, because of decisions that would have to be made. Uh, we talked about all of those that uh, had once been in league and companionship uh, with David that uh, had uh, tried during uh, the last or bit of David's reign, uh, Adonijah and his, and his uh, co-conspirators who had tried to usurp authority from David, tried to take the kingdom away from David. And we saw that now Solomon, upon David's death, is having to deal with how to handle these men. Uh, he has given freedom to Adonijah uh, before he, he had grace to him. And now Adonijah comes back. It seems like he's up to his old ways. It seems like he's trying to spin uh, another uh, another plan and another uh, another kind of uh, concocted scheme, if you will. And so now Solomon is faced to keep the word that he made with Adonijah before, told him that he could go in peace as long as he'd depart and he didn't come back for evil again. But now that he's done that, Solomon now is faced with either keeping his word and being a man of his word or, or, or going against his word. And so God, as, as uh, well, Solomon rather, uh, to be a man of his word and right before God has to uh, send Adonijah uh, for execution and declares that, as well as uh, casting judgment upon Abiathar the priest, Joab, David's most trusted general, and uh, also others there along with him. And so uh, we saw that. Now let's look real quickly at uh, 2 Kings chapter number 3. As we consider the great need 
here. And I'm going to spend just one more brief moment here, and then we're going to move on to some other things tonight. But look at chapter number 3 of 1 Kings and chapter number 1. One of the things that I mentioned as we concluded uh, the last time we were in this uh, study was that now as king, uh, Solomon is faced with having to uh, initiate partnerships uh, with other nations, with other rulers, and with, uh, with other kings. And so that would be something that you would need God's wisdom uh, in. I wish, I wish some of our leaders would uh, consult the Lord and, and ask for divine wisdom when it comes to entering into uh, certain deals and treaties and, and, uh, and, and relationships with other nations. Uh, we've had plenty of relationships with other uh, nations uh, in the history of our country uh, that have come back to, uh, come back to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to not be so good for us. Amen. And so 1 Kings chapter number 3, uh, the very first words of this, this passage is the Bible says, and, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of beginning his own, uh, building his own house and the house, of the, the, and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Notice real quickly, first of all, in verse one, this word affinity. It means more than just an agreement. Uh, the word affinity there in your Bible is a word that means uh, that an agreement has been made, a relationship has been contracted, but it's been done. It's done so by marriage. You see, in Bible days, uh, one of the ways that you would enter into partnerships with other nations was not just the signing of a document like we would do today. But a lot of times, what they would do is they would give family members in marriage to enter into relationships with other nations, and that's what we find uh, King Solomon doing here. To be honest with you, that is the reason why uh, most leaders in the Bible have multiple wives and have so many children. Uh, part of the reason why uh, Solomon throughout his life had 40 years of peace, had an entire reign of peace as the king of Israel when Saul had not known that and David had not known that. Both of the predecessors of Solomon had never known a kingdom at peace. And the reason why Solomon knew such peace in Israel and led through uh, such a period of peace is because whatever nation uh, Israel had an issue with, or was beginning to have conflict with, uh, Solomon would either marry one of the leader's daughters or, or one of the family members of, of the uh, leadership of that nation, or he would have a family member do so. And so that's the reason why uh, Solomon had so many wives is because he had so many affinities out there. He had so many relationships uh, that he had entered into a contract with. These are not people necessarily that Solomon loved, but he had entered into contracts with so that his nation would be uh, at peace with another nation. And so Solomon does that with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, it is interesting to note that by this time in, in Israel's history, and I'm going to give too much of a history lesson, but I, I just thought this was interesting. Uh, but uh, the, about this period of time, you're looking at, a, at about 1014, 1015 uh, B.C. when this is taking place according to Schofield. And when you when you think about who uh, this king of Egypt, who uh, this pharaoh would be, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because uh, I wouldn't even have a clue on how to pronounce the name. But this, this, uh, this pharaoh is uh, the son of Ramses the, the 11th. Ramses, if you study Egyptian history, uh, that name is, is a huge name in the pharaohs of Egypt. Uh, another where apparently they had at least 11 of these guys, and he was the son of Ramses uh, the 11th, uh, excuse me, his, he was the son of Ramses the 11th's daughter. That would make him a grandchild uh, of uh, Ramses the 11th. And uh, this is one pharaoh that of the period in which of Egyptian history in which he's in, uh, he was one of two pharaohs of that period whose tombs were not uh, raided by those who would try to steal from it by grave robbers. 
robbers and his, his, his tomb is still intact to this day. We discovered his tomb in 1940 after all of those years and that is the Pharaoh that we're talking about here in verse number 1. It is amazing how Bible history does seem to catch up uh, to world history. Our, our world history catches up to Bible history, excuse me. Here we have a Pharaoh that knew Solomon and entered into a relationship with Solomon and you can travel to his tomb today and, and it's intact just like it was the day that they buried him. I don't know if that interests you but as a history buff that interested me. Amen. And just to think that we tapped in in 1940 to something that God had already put in place and put in our Bible thousands of years before that ever happened. Amen. And so when you study the Bible you study it knowing that it is historically accurate in every single way. Amen. Here we find Solomon entering into that and of course he needed wisdom to know what partnerships to have and whether you want whether you want to say whether this was a good thing or a bad thing in Solomon's life the Bible here does not say one way or the other so I'm not going to comment on that tonight amen I wouldn't want to get married that way but I'm not going to say necessarily on anything about that tonight notice some things about Solomon's reign here as we consider the need first of all let me say this that Solomon's reign was one of building notice what the Bible says there in verse number one after it talks about the affinity that was made it says that he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David uh, now at this time this would not be talking about Bethlehem it would be talking about Jerusalem he brings her into the city of David until notice this now until he made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Solomon's reign was one that had a lot of projects going on. There was a lot of building going on. If you've ever built anything, you understand you need wisdom for that. Amen. If you mess up, if you're, if you're, if you're, if, if anything about your building is one inch off, if it's not completely perfect, uh, the building's going to crumble. Amen. And Solomon's reign was one of building. And notice, I, I think this is interesting, uh, just for the political climate in which we're in. The Bible said that Solomon. One of the things that Solomon built was a wall. Amen. He built a wall all around uh, Jerusalem round about. Amen. It must mean that God's okay with leaders building walls. You apply that however you want to. I'd love for CNN or MSNBC to get that. But yet I'll sign my name to it. Amen. Uh, God says that walls are okay. And one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had uh, that God put his stamp of approval on, uh, a leader that God said would be the successor by name, he's building a wall and God's pleased with it. Amen. Verse number two, I'm going to leave that there, but you can, you can take that as you may. Verse two, only the people sacrificed in the high places because there was no house built, on, built under the name of the Lord until those days. One of the greatest needs that Israel had at this time was a house to worship in, a sanctuary to worship in. They'd had the Old Testament tabernacle that Moses had used and that Joshua had used. It was a temporary structure. It was meant to be temporary. It was meant to be moved from one place to the next. But God had always promised that there would be one place that He had set His name upon, and there would be one place that all of the children of Israel would be able to come and to be able to worship in that one stationary place. David had provided for it. God had given that task to David. David had made provision for it. Now, upon taking the reign of the kingdom, now David, or excuse me, Solomon is entering into preparing for it. He mentions there the house of the Lord. Verse number 2, they're still sacrificing in high places because there is no temple. Those high places, literally, that word means anything that's tall, anything that's high. Uh, they, because they didn't have a house of God, they were trying to find any place that they could to sacrifice, any place that they could uh, to worship uh, because there was no house of worship. Again, I state to you, we can see here the great need of wisdom in Solomon's life when all of his subjects, all of the people in the kingdom don't have one place where they can truly call a house of worship. And so we understand through Bible history as well and through the study of the Bible these high places uh, were those that uh, they had come in contact with. They had received from the Canaanites. They had uh, received from them uh, through the years and they were rededicating that uh, for the service of the Lord. And can I just say this that taking a pagan place of worship and then rebranding it as Christian is not God's plan for how God's people worship. By 
the way, can I just put that in there? Taking a house of worship that is pagan and carnal and trying to rebrand it as something that's spiritual, that's exactly what the contemporaries are doing today. That's exactly what those that, uh, that are following the CCM crowd, the contemporary Christian uh, music crowd, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to take the brand and the sound of the world and anything, the things that are out there uh, that are worshiping the gods of this world, the secular, uh, the, the, the things that please the flesh, they're trying to rebrand it as Christian and it, did, it didn't work with the house of worship then and it should work in the house of worship now. Amen. And so here we understand there's a great need for a temple here and Solomon is being used, uh, will be used to do that. And so notice the Bible says this there uh, in the end of chapter number 2, only the people sacrificed in the high places because there was no house built under the name of the Lord. Notice this phrase, until those days. It meant that Solomon's going to provide them something they did not have as of yet. That house of worship is coming. They didn't have it until those days where Solomon comes in and God used him to provide it for them. So Solomon's reign is one of projects. Solomon's reign, I'll say this as well, is one of protecting. He gives, he talk, he gives walls. He puts walls about Jerusalem and he believed in protecting and we should too. Solomon's reign was one of provision. And Solomon was providing for them something that they did not have before. Solomon's reign was one of progress. He is trying to, to move forward with what's best for the children of Israel. And can I say this? Every church, every Christian, every nation uh, should be about progress, should be about going forward, should be about being more and doing more for God's glory. So Solomon is doing that. Now look at verse number 3 with me. The Bible says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt uh, incense in the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer uh, upon that altar. Now, I, I'm, not going, I'm not going to get into this a whole lot because it's not, about my, not necessarily included in my point. But if you look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 1 and verse number 3 through 6, you'll find uh, that the reason why here in 1 Kings this is called the great high place, whereas all the others were worshiping in high places, this was called the great high place is because the place that Solomon's going in Gibeon was where the tabernacle was. To where the, the one house of worship that they had had uh, that was movable and that Moses had used and all of those things, that tabernacle was there. It was the great high place. It separates it from the other high places. And there we find Solomon uh, offering his sacrifices. There we find him uh, worshiping the Lord. The statement that's made in verse number 3 says that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he burnt sacrifice and sac he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. So let me simply, without getting into a lot of details that, would, that I really would reserve for preaching through this book, uh, let me say this, that what is important here for us to understand is that Solomon is sacrificing and making burnt offerings as a, as a sign of worship, and he's doing so because he loves the Lord. He's doing so because uh, he uh, wants to please the Lord. He's walking in the statutes. That's indicative of the Word of God. It is a type of the Word of God in your Bible. When you talk about uh, the statutes, you talk about uh, any, of those, uh, any of those words that we see here, the word statutes, other places, testimonies and things of that nature. It's talking about the words of God. It's talking about the commands or the decrees of God to His people. Here he talks about the statutes of David, his father. In other words, those things that God had given to David. He's wanting to be faithful to his heritage. He's wanting to be faithful to his God. Why? Because Solomon's reign was also one of passion. He was passionate about God. He was passionate about the history that Israel had of God moving and God working in their midst. As he made those sacrifices in the tabernacle, it was a, it was a testimony of how God had blessed the children of Israel and had blessed his father David. Here we also understand that this can be said to be a, sol a summary of Solomon's early days, that he loved the Lord and he wanted to try 
to live a holy life. So we see that Solomon's reign was about projects. Solomon's reign was one of protecting. Solomon's reign was one of uh, provision. Solomon's reign was one of progress. Then we see as well that Solomon's reign is one of passion. But then also let me say this, Solomon's reign was one of perspective. Can you imagine what it would be like Solomon being on the top of this mountain uh, sacrificing and worshiping God as he is there uh, and understanding what it is and what God uh, has in store for the nation of Israel and he thinks about the temple uh, that David has prepared and the vision that God has put in David's heart and he thinks about all of those things and now uh, he also understands that, that looks at this tabernacle can you imagine how it would seem like this tabernacle is not fitting the need all of God's children all of the nation of Israel they're worshiping high places as they're doing the best they can to worship God and that this is falling flat of what they need when it comes to worship it puts things into perspective this according to verse number 5 the Bible says in Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night if you were to go to 2nd Chronicles chapter number 1 and verse number 7 you would understand that in verse 5 is taking place after that it's the night after Solomon made all of these sacrifices at the end of verse number 4 verse number 6 the Bible says and Solomon said thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy hold your place there and go with me please to 2nd Chronicles tonight look at 2nd Chronicles this there is a gap here in uh, in the mind uh, in, in not necessarily the the mind of God but here in the in the verses of our scripture our understanding of what's taking place here look with me at 2nd 2nd Chronicles and look with me please Look with me at verse number 6. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. That is, that is where we are in verse number 4 of 2 Kings chapter number 3. Verse number 7, the Bible says, In that night did, uh, did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. Okay? That is the missing portion. Uh, not that 1 Kings is incomplete, but the fact that we don't necessarily need to know that in what he's trying to get across in 1 Kings. If you look at your Bible in, in 1 Kings 3 verse 6, it'll read very much the same as uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 1 verse 8. Look at verse 8 there in 2 Chronicles 1. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father and has made me to reign in his stead. Now you can, you can let go of your place there for the time being. Look with me again at 1 Kings chapter number 3 and verse number 6. Verse 5 says, And giving the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. So that is abbreviated there. Verse 6, And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead or in the stead of David my father and I, and I am but a little child I know, I know not how to go out or to come in and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so, uh, thy so great a people let me say this 
this tonight. Not only do we see that Solomon's reign is one of passion, uh, but we see that Solomon's reign, and I'm going to use this for lack of a better term, is one of prayer. Because what happens here is, in the Bible says there in verse 5, God comes to him and says, ask what I shall give thee. And when Solomon speaks back to the Lord, that can be applied to us talking to God in prayer. So Solomon and God here are having a conversation. God says, ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. Isn't it interesting that God gives Solomon a blank check to ask for whatever he wants to. And instead of doing what you and I would do, probably capitalizing on a moment and just begin blurting out things, I'm, I'm, I'm obeying God. I'm going to tell him what, I, what I'm asking of him. You know, the first thing he begins to do is not blurting out anything about what he wants in that moment, but he takes an opportunity because he's having a conversation with God to begin to give God praise. In his praising God, he begins his praise with compliments concerning how God treated his father when his father was king. He is praising God for how good he was to David when David was king. The second thing that he praises God for is for allowing him personally to sit on the throne of Israel. That, that God has made for him to sit in the stead of David's father. The third thing that he praises God for is for keeping his word to David by allowing one of David's sons to sit on the throne and thanking him essentially by being a God of his word. The fourth thing that he praises God for is what I would call the reality of the moment. In other words, when you look at what is being said at the end of verse number 6, David Solomon gives this statement to the Lord. He says, as it is this day. In other words, God, you were good to my father. You allowed me to be on the throne. I'm thankful that you allowed me to be on the throne. I'm thankful that this has happened because you kept your word to my father. And here I am in this moment. And as I sit here in this moment, I have to take a moment and give you praise. Notice what he says there in verse number seven. He says, and now, O oh oh Lord, my God. Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. In other words, you've made me king. And I feel so small in light of my predecessor. I feel so small in light of who the king used to be in, in my father. I feel so inadequate in light of who my father was and the immensity of the task that is set before me. That I feel like just one little bitty man. Literally, he felt like not even a man. One little bitty child. We know Solomon Solomon here is an older he's, he's a, he, he is a man by this point. He's not a little child like we would understand a child. So Solomon is telling God how he feels. And aren't you glad that we have a God that you can tell how you feel? He says, I am a little child. Little child here speaks of three things. It speaks of his immaturity. It speaks of his ignorance. He says there in verse 7, I am a little child. Also in verse number 7, he says, I know not how to go out or to come in. We see that he is speaking that he feels immature when he says he's a little child. That he feels ignorant when he says that there's some things that I do not know. And then in verse number 8 he speaks of his inability. He said, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. In other words, who am I as one man among so many to make a difference here? He feels immature. He feels ignorant. He feels inable. But what he is about to ask from the Lord will be the solution to all three of those. When he says there in verse number 9, give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. If God does that, it'll take care of his immaturity. If God does that, it'll take care of his ignorance. If God does that, it'll take care of his inability. And he may still be one man among many, uh, among the multitude of God's people, but he will have wisdom to know how to deal with them. And we see that he here speaks in prayer to the Lord. Notice what he asked for. When he, yes, we understand wisdom, but notice what he asked for here. Specifically, he asked for an understanding heart. 
If you were to, if you were to, to, to really get down to the brass tacks of, of what this is talking about, we understand what, what it means to understand, to comprehend, to be informed for your mind, to be able to take what somebody is saying and understand it, make sense of it. The Hebrew word for understanding here, I found this quite interesting. It carries the idea of being able to hear, and then it also carries the idea of being able to utter a sound. In other words, this is what Solomon is asking for. He's saying God, and it, all it carries with it, with that hearing, it is the hearing of a report. He's asking God to give him the ability to hear information and then be able to put it into practice, to put it in, to get, to get it going by being able to hear a report, to be able to hear information and then be able to give instruction or direction based upon what he hears. That's the kind of understanding that he wants to have. Can I say this this evening? Great leadership takes exactly that. A great leader is one who can hear information, who can hear all kinds of information and understand it to the point to where he can get all of these streams of information, put them together and make one focused plan with it and then begin to mobilize people in the direction of that plan. I heard a story recently uh, told to me by, by, I believe it was Brother Steve Williamson told me this in one of their meetings that the, the Capital Connection was able to have with former Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, this was before all of the things that uh, has kind of uh, sullen Mike Pence's name by now. But Mike Pence made this statement as someone who had risen up the political ranks to be uh, the Vice President of the United States, former Governor of the State of Indiana. And uh, for, for, for to say the least, Mike Pence is someone that you could talk to that uh, kind of knows a little bit about leadership, has been around some great leaders. I mean, he worked day in and day out with someone that I would consider, and I know this would probably get us hate mail as well, but someone that I consider to be one of the greatest presidents of my lifetime. I, 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 the, the greatest president of my lifetime. Uh, the, first president I, the first president of my lifetime was Bill Clinton. So, you know, that, that's... <laughs> Probably not not hard to say uh, between between Clinton, Bush, Obama, and then now Biden. It, he's kind of in a class all by his own, as far as I'm concerned. But he, he's one of the best presidents I know of recent time. I'll say that. And. Uh, but here's what Mike Pence had to say about Donald Trump. He said, about, out of all the leaders that he had been around, about all the men that he rubbed shoulders with, he said, Donald Trump was a man that the one thing that impressed him the most was Donald Trump's ability to sit at his desk and have 15 people run in front of him, give a report and say, Mr. President, we need a decision on this, and then have others come in and have all kinds of information just thrown at him at one time, and in, in a moment, not taking three months to deliberate not taking, let me pull together all of the, all of the, all of my advisors on this or whatever. And, and let me say, there is a place for that. Even as a pastor, there's a place to where I have to call in uh, other minds, people that know things better than I do. And so there, there's a place for that. But at the same time, great leadership is seen in guys like, like Vice President Pence said about President Trump, that he was able to take information, hear it, and then immediately begin to mobilize people in fixing an issue that was at hand. I think that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump was able to get so much done in four years while everybody it seemed was against him because he had the ability that he, he had he had understanding in his life. There, there was some wisdom that he had from, from whatever allowed him to have that, whether it's business ventures or whatever, to hear proposals and then not have to take a month to make a decision. But, uh, but Vice President Pence said in the same breath, would say, okay, now you go do this, and you go do that, and you go do this, and things began to get moving while other presidents would be waiting on deliberation. Donald Trump, he may even would miss the mark sometimes, and somebody would come back and say, Mr. President, that didn't work the way we thought, and he said, okay, now do this, and try this, and he was able to have three or four different shots by the, one, by the time most presidents would be working on their first decision. It's about having understanding, the ability to hear and to be able to make decisions. He said he wanted not just understanding, but he wanted an understanding heart. 
a heart in the Bible is the center of one's innermost emotions. It's not just that thing that pumps blood throughout our body, but it represents the, 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 the mind, the will, the emotions of a person, the innermost part of a person. It is the seat of one's appetite or desires. It's the seat of one's courage. He said, I want to have that kind of wisdom to hear, to make a plan, and mobilize a plan, and I want it to be deep down in my heart. I want it to be embedded in me as deep as I can get it in. He says, give me thy servant an understanding heart so that he can judge God's people. He can make decisions about God's people. He says that I may discern between good and bad. Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say between what is prosperous and less prosperous. He didn't say what will make our country more money or less money. He didn't say like the pharaohs of Egypt would have done or the Caesars of Rome would have done in their day. I want to do something that is going to build my name and stamp my place in, 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 the, in the annals of history. That's not what he's saying, that I want to choose between what would make me more famous or less famous or infamous. He's not saying that he wanted to do that which would garner him more power or to know what will give him the most power or what might take power and influence from him. All Solomon says is he says, God, I want you to give me an understanding heart so I can know what's right and what's wrong. I would to God in this country and in the nations of our world that we would have a place in the political process for people who think along those lines of what is good and what is not. Amen. We would make greater decisions as a country if we did not consider what will garner us the most money or influence or power or prestige, more so than, is it right? Is it good? Is it godly? Is it moral? Is it ethical? Or is it just downright evil? Give me the ability. I heard it said before that the difference, that the, diff, that, that the word discernment, uh, this, they told us this in Bible college, that discernment is not even simply knowing what's right from wrong, but it is the ability to discern what is right from what is almost right or what looks Right. Solomon is saying, God, make a clear distinction. Give me the ability to know, so even if it looks good, to know whether it is really good or whether it is evil. Here, Solomon is simply saying, there is a great need in my life for me to be able to make right decisions. The task is so great. There are so many people that are affected by it. There is so great of a need for me as their leader to have wisdom that I can't afford not to ask for this. So while his reign was about projects, and while it was about protecting and provision and progress and passion, it was also about prayer and praying to God for the right things. And he prayed, he asked God, if you will, that he'd have an understanding heart. So we see that the Proverbs came to Solomon as a result of a great need. If you look at verse 10, we see that the Proverbs came to Solomon as a result of answered prayer. The Bible said, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. It pleases God for us to want wisdom to know what's right or wrong. It is a result of answered prayer. Thirdly, the Proverbs came to Solomon, came to us by Solomon as a result of great need, as a result of answered prayer. But verse 11 through 14, it is as a result of divine provision. The Bible says, And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, talking about, great, uh, talking about understanding, to judge his people, because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked for the life of thine enemies, things that other leaders, if they were given a blank check, they might would have asked for. He says, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. 
Verse 12, God says, Behold, I have done according to thy words. I've given you, I have divinely provided for you exactly what you asked for. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. So that there was none like thee before, there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that, that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou, and, and if thou wilt walk in my ways, and to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And verse 15 says that Solomon awoke from that dream in which the Lord was speaking to him. We don't need such dreams today for the Lord to speak to us. We have the full fulfillment of full revelation of God and His Word and prayer. We don't need that as He did. But we see whose these Proverbs are. They are Solomon's. Why did God use Solomon? Because Solomon realized that he was a small man with a great need. And because of that, he gave, we have these Proverbs because God answered his prayer and then divinely provided for him that which this verse talks about. And I'm, I'm going to stop there tonight. And when we get back in this study, I want to talk about, no, we've talked about what this book is. Tonight we finished up talking about whose this book is. And then the next message, and we'll do just one message on that, but we'll look at who this book was intended for. And we'll look at that next time we get in this passage. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching tonight. If you need to come, you come down to the altar tonight, and we'll have a hymn, a hymn of invitation. And get ready for a hymn of invitation tonight. And let's stand all across the building if you need to come. I think one of the things that each and every one of us can afford to pray for is wisdom, is understanding. The ability to do more than just feel it out through life. The ability to do more than just guesswork at decisions in our life. But to know. Solomon said that he wanted wisdom. He wanted an understanding heart to discern, to be able to know for sure what was good and what was evil. We're living in a day today where even Bible-believing Christians that are saved by the grace of God do a lot of things that fall a whole lot more toward the evil category than the good category. And one of the things you'll hear so often is someone say, I just, I didn't know. I have it happen a lot of times. I'll preach on something and have folks come after the service and say, Preacher, I just didn't know that that wasn't right. I just didn't know that was going on. I just didn't know. We're not going to be omniscient. We're not going to have all knowledge. But one of the things that I, would, that I want as a believer is for when I when I do something or I'm or I think about doing something or I think about going somewhere or I, I think about some direction in life that God would help for me to know 100% not just can I get by with this and it be okay but is this God's definition of good or if it's or is it not if God's not pleased with it then I don't want to be a part of it want to just embrace what looks right, but I want to know what is right, and I want to do what is right. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. <laughs>